Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome back to the Solo Collective. I'm your host, Rebecca Seal. If I'm honest, imposter syndrome is a problem for me and has been since I was really very young, I think probably in my teens. And I suspect that's true for a huge number of us. And the person I wanted to talk to about this is Anna Martha, who is a psychotherapist, speaker and best-selling author. And she is all about psychoeducation which is about learning about how our brains work and our minds work and figuring out how to apply those lessons to ourselves and to our lives. And she believes that knowing yourself and understanding your thoughts and feelings is a huge part of enabling change. And I really couldn't agree more with that. Uh, She's also the author of a book called Know Your Worth, How to Build Your Self-Esteem, Grow in Confidence and Worry Less About What People Think, which, if you're anything like me, is a (laughs) must-read. So I'm excited to share this conversation because, again, it's kind of an honest and raw conversation. I just think that there's something very profound about having honest conversations about the way we think about ourselves. And they can lead to small shifts in our heads that can facilitate really, really big changes in our lives as a whole. So I guess, first of all, are you able as a psychotherapist to define it for us? Because I think it might be one of those phrases that people use and we don't always know exactly what we mean when we use it or we're a bit vague about it. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, there are so many different definitions, but one that I find really helpful and that I use a lot is is the imposter syndrome. It sits between the in in that kind of gap between what you think people expect of you, what what you show the world, what you feel you should be doing, how you feel you should be being, and the reality of what's behind the scenes and how you actually feel when you're doing those things. So often, you know, the bigger the gap between what you're presenting to the world and your in your work or your home or your friendships or whatever area of life that you feel like an imposter in and and the the reality of how you actually feel when you peel away those layers it can prompt so many different feelings of if they only knew how unconfident I was in doing this or if if they only knew how much of a facade I was wearing or how you know what the me that they're relating to doesn't actually really feel like the me inside then they wouldn't like me or they wouldn't they wouldn't trust me or they wouldn't have asked me to do that and it's yeah just feeling like a fraud really the bigger that gap the more fear that you might be found out you know what if someone sees me like this or if someone knew that this is how I thought or this was how I felt or this was how I went about that thing then I'd lose credibility I'd lose that yeah how they think about me 
would would change so it's it's fear and it's it's a sense of like dis-ease and discomfort and just not feeling your true authentic self yeah that rings true (laughs) (laughs) I have it less now than I used to but I I certainly spent my 20s uh very much feeling like an imposter I used to say that I felt like I was living somebody else's life like I was I had somebody else's job and somebody else's career and I didn't I didn't know how I'd got there and um and I didn't know if I wanted to be there, but at the same time, I was really frightened that people would realise that I shouldn't be there. <laughs> yeah. And there's often this sense of luck, like I'm, I've am i got here because of luck rather than an embodiment of actually it's you. We can be so many different parts. We can be, we have so many different sides and so many different facets that can be communicated in lots of different ways. So actually sometimes I feel like it's, dealing with imposter syndrome is about a slow acceptance and an integration of you are this person because you're able to be being this person. If it, Even if it feels like an act, it's still you portraying something that must be true to you. Otherwise, you how can, how can we be an imposter forever? It's exhausting. Like, do you know what I mean? There must be more truth in some of these things, but actually is it just that we find it hard to accept our successes sometimes? because it doesn't fit with maybe the part of us that is just that kind of shy, insecure teenager or that we've held on to and that that's part part of our identity, but it's not our whole identity, Mm. if that makes sense. Yeah, it does. And and that's interesting because it leads me on to my next question, which is that I feel that for often, and, and this is just sort of my anecdotal experience of it, so I'd be curious to know whether I'm right, but it seems to be something which is maybe more prevalent in people who are outwardly viewed as successful like as though once you've got success you kind of have to cling to it really hard and kind of build yourself around the notion of it rather than it sort of enjoying it or reveling in it or any of that stuff I think it depends what we put on a pedestal and I remember last year my first book came out I'd always wanted to write a book. And then this publication day approached and, you know, we were actually in the middle of of lockdown and my kids had made cards. And I don't know what I expected to feel, something amazing. And it was, you know, it was an accomplishment. It was good. But ultimately, I think I pinned so much on, well, I would have reached that goal. And actually that day came and I felt this huge, like deep, sense of imposter syndrome in all of these people are praising something yet I'm just me and I it was almost like I'd I'd expected and hoped that my inner sense of and of identity and knowledge would somehow that I would feel brilliant that I I've reached this goal now surely I'm going to feel like the inside of me matches the outside but it didn't it was just another thing that I had done as a part of my work but it's like a mirage you know, you get to it and it's never going to satisfy because ultimately I think with imposter syndrome, it's about accepting your worth and your validity regardless of of what other people think, regardless of the successes. It's an iffy ground when when our sense of self-worth is relying on, on those things. We're never going to feel like it truly fits because it mm. will never be enough. That explains something for me that I've been wondering about in recent months, because I've had quite a few conversations with people who are 
a similar kind of age and stage to me, like around 40. I'm not sure if it's the impact of the pandemic or whether it's a kind of mid-career crisis type thing, but but I've met quite a few people who've said, I started to feel like an imposter in my work in a way that I didn't before. And I'm not sure that I can do all the things that I have done or I can't do new things, particularly among solo workers. And what you just said makes that make a little bit more sense because if it's something that kind of intensifies as we carry on in pursuit of this mirage, then that that would follow, right? And it's funny you say it as, as a mirage. Like I think I, in my book, I think I put it in a similar way about the kind of pursuit of happiness and success that if you pin it all on something that's always over the next hill, then that the, the journey over the hill is not going to be fun. <laughs> Yeah, it's when then, you know, when I get there, when I hit that, when I sell that many of this, when I, you know, when I'm seen as that or I have that accolade, then, then I will feel like I deserve it. Then I will feel like that success is truly mine to Mm. enjoy. Yeah, Um, it doesn't work like that. Um, it, It doesn't, it doesn't. I, I'm I'm guessing from the way that you talk about this that this is something that you've had to live with. Is that right? Is oh it, yeah. Have you had similar experiences? Oh, I felt I have felt like an imposter in my own life. In many, you know, not just in my work, but in my friendships. You know, imposter syndrome it can be experienced in every different area of life. An imposter is a mum. Why am I not succeeding like that person? Or why isn't it coming as easily to me as it seems to be coming to that person? And we can criticise ourselves, and then we either then work harder and push harder to try and reach something that actually isn't really truly real in the sense that we see it or what I recommend and what I what I try and do and what I work with clients through is actually starting to become more accepting of the many different facets of us and more aware that actually our successes they are us because we are doing them it might not feel like all of us because actually it isn't all of us and we you know life is lived in the gray areas we're not we're seeing so much black and white as we look through these lenses and as we scroll and you know we're living in the gray we're living in the in that gray of kind of negotiations that go wrong projects that go a bit awry that is the reality so we're we're trying to seek the black and white and actually you know life is lived in the gray area and the gray area isn't all that boring it's the mundane of life but it's also pretty incredible in its own way and we can start becoming a little bit more accepting and at home in that place yeah yeah I think that's I think that's so crucial that point about the way that we compare ourselves to other people's lives like I think I might have said this on the podcast before but um you know I just I just feel that this curated feed of humanity that you get at the moment um which also comes from streaming um TV content and you know it's not it's not solely social media it's just the way in which we absorb stories about what it means to be human at the moment and our our lack of contact with other messy mm. grubby gray <laughs> lives it, it's made us so hard on our own lives like I've certainly felt that myself okay how do we fix it <laughs> like are there are there techniques I mean what do you do with your clients are there techniques that you use to help people rebuild their self-worth like I've talked about this before again on the podcast but you know I'm in I'm I'm a year into therapy my fifth 
of ther- therapy yeah. since I was a teenager and I I love therapy I think it's a brilliant a brilliant tool and it's definitely a huge amount of it is about building up my sense of self-worth and my ability to believe in in myself as a as a worthy person without needing kind of external validation and so on and and I feel like I you know I am getting there but I'd love to know what techniques or things that we can do in our own lives that would help us to feel better yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> I think you've, you've completely hit the nail on the head it's how can we slow down our need to to have that external validation because you know sometimes when I'm work, working with clients like what if you woke up tomorrow and your work could you know, something had happened, the work work was gone. That element of your life was, it could no longer continue. You know, and I think it's really telling how we feel when we think about, you know, what if that house, you know, what if that, what was in your bank account? What if, you know, what are those things in life that, that actually make you feel deserving? Or what are you seeking to make you feel deserving? And what if that was taken away? What would you be left with? And I sometimes think, well, I wouldn't know who I was. I wouldn't know what, I just wouldn't know what my purpose was. And I think, you know, that that often that's the crux of it is you are deserving of good things and love in your life, utterly regardless of how well you're doing and what you have. And it's a coming to terms with that. And it's a how can you start offering yourself some of that validation that you are seeking in other places. And I think often we just value that so much less. A, because it's harder to tell ourselves that than it is to, to, to seek it and to earn it. But also because often the way that we express ourselves externally and the way that we feel and the way that, you know, the way that we are closed, behind closed doors is often so, it's just different. So I think it's about who are you? What is authentic to you in some of these different situations that arise? Like, so much gets changed in pursuit of these things. So it might be your opinion. It might be that actually you you don't talk about that or you, you wouldn't share that opinion out of fear or you wouldn't express that need or ask for that support out of fear of what other people might think of you, that they might think, well, I thought you were, I thought you were strong. I thought you were successful. I thought you were, and here you are, vulnerable and needy. We're all vulnerable. We're all needy. And I think we've just built up so many layers, kind of almost protecting ourselves from ourselves. And I think the more we can come to terms with the fact that those things don't make us better people. It's a coming to terms with all the different facets of who we are. Our self-worth, our worth never changes. I'm worth one point, you're worth one point. You know, some, Nelson Mandela, one point. Mother Teresa, one point. Boris Johnson, one point. We all have fundamentally the same worth. We're, we're all just people, vulnerable people wanting to feel understood and wanting to feel worthy and loved. So I think it's it's starting to acknowledge that nothing we do, nothing we say, no success we have makes us a better person. Therefore, it's an, it's it's about coming to terms with the fact that we already have worth. So start addressing the things that, that we might be doing in our lives that, that make us feel like we don't. So the way that we speak to ourselves, how are we speaking to ourselves? Would we talk to another person in the way that we speak to ourselves? Would we speak to a child or a friend? Because if it's not good enough them, it's it, for them, it's not good enough for us either. How are we treating ourselves? What decisions are we making around our own kind of self-worth, our own self-respect, our own self-care? 
You know, how are we treating ourselves? Are we respecting our human basic needs for rest, hydration, nutrition? Because actually so many of us are, are fundamentally not doing that. So if we're not treating ourselves as someone as worth, we're going to be chasing that elsewhere. We're going to feel like we have to earn it, feel like we have to earn rest, feel like we have to earn food. That's so, it's such important stuff to hear. And it makes so much, yeah, it makes so much sense to me. And I'm sure to so many other people because this is such a kind of universal experience, I think. But that idea that you're kind of, you're filling the hole up, aren't you, with something, yeah. whether it's work it's or- It's a black hole, It's yeah. And it's a never, if, if you're not filling it up with what you actually need, you're never going to be satisfied. You're never going to be satisfied. I think your point about how you talk to yourself is really, really important as well. And, I, you know, I think this extends to all areas of life, but it's definitely something which took me a really long time to get to grips with, if indeed I have, um, in terms of work, where my kind of inner monologue would be like, I'm not sure you can do this. I don't, I, I don't, I don't think you can do this. Like even quite recently, actually, I handed in something which I'd really struggled to write because it was very intellectually challenging um, and slightly outside of my comfort zone. I really had a, a monologue inside that was like, this is going to be a disaster. Like at every step where it worked out okay, I would invent another situation where it was going to be a disaster. And in the end, it was fine. And actually, it was very widely read and very widely shared, more so than most of my stuff usually is which allowed me, I guess, to see that my assessment of things isn't accurate, but also was a bad moment in a way because it just did all the things that I needed it to do, filled up the hole for me because I got validation from it being like a you know successful piece of work. Um, and that, it, that happening in a way, I guess, is, is not so useful from a personal growth point of view because it didn't force me to confront any of the issues that I might have about where I get myself worth and validation from because I just went oh okay great it's fine so I am a I am a I am okay oh I am a decent person on to the next thing <laughs> on to the next thing until the next thing has you asking the same questions in different ways so I think you know it gives us success or validation it gives us what we it gives us what we what we want, it gives us what we're craving, but it's like a sugar high, you know, then the sugar high, it's a high and it feels great, but then it's not sustaining, it's not nourishing. So there will be a point in the very near future where that sugar high is, you know, it's tailing off and, and you're hungrier than ever. And I just think it's it's what what is nourishing? Is that is that high? Is that how long does that last before, you know, you see you're you're there again? And it's another project or it's another, you know, it's another tantalizing opportunity to, to get, to get validation. And, you know, being a psychotherapist, I love, I love going back to kind of family stuff and exploring kind of family dynamics. So, you know, in my childhood, there was a lot of chaos. I had a very unwell sister um, when she, when she was two, she got cancer and it was just really traumatic for us as a family. And I very quickly fell into this role of, even though I was so young, that I, I'm going to help everyone by making them happy. I'm going to help everyone by not adding more complications. So if I'm upset, I'm not going to, I'm not going to upset anyone with my upset. You know, I want to keep everyone happy. I want to, you know, everyone's already sad. How can I comfort them? How can I make it easier? So, you know, a very early age, 
often when we look back, we can see where we started to learn that that to make people pleased, to make people happy with us, we have to do or be something. Yeah, that's what makes you feel like an imposter. Yeah, yeah. So how can we be more authentic? I feel like being authentic is this kind of, it's like you can get it on a tote bag, right? <laughs> it's such a difficult, it's such a difficult phrase to understand for, for all that it's incredibly ubiquitous, but um, it's actually really difficult to be your true self, particularly if you're someone like a lot of us are, where you've learned this stuff since you were really young and you've, you've, you know, you've played this game and in some senses, a lot of external ones, it's working. Like, you know, like you say, you've got friends, you've got relationships, you've got a successful career, all of the, all of the Instagram um, worthy aspects of life are kind of ticking along nicely. But as you say, the, the, the internal cost becomes incredibly high. 45 Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. What, what do you think about imposter syndrome and gender? So I, I found a bit of research that said that it was more common to feel like an imposter in, for women um, that it was about 70% of women and about 50% of men, which is still a lot for everybody. But do you think it's a particularly female issue or do you think men are just even better than we are at hiding it? <laughs> well, I think, you know, I think if you look at the statistics, for example, with with how men might, you know, deal with the utmost pinnacle of imposter syndrome and male suicide is so much higher and I think often these things just aren't even not acknowledged or understood until you feel like such an imposter in your own life that you fear so much being found out for who you are and there's I think you know often with male suicide for example there's a lot of you know the this, this story at some point gets uncovered and it might have been hidden depression it might have been hidden debt it might have been you know whatever might have been the facade for so many years that actually they don't even know how it could even be possible to start being honest about what has been thrown behind the scenes. And I think women, we're just, emo we're really emotional beings. We, we have often so many more relationships. We have, you know, lots of, we wear a lot more hats. Now this is going very, you know, I'm being very stereotypical here, but I just wonder if there are lots more elements of our lives to feel like an imposter in. And perhaps we're just a little bit more aware of it. I'm not sure. I, it's yeah. I mean, d does it mean that men experience it less, or does it just mean that it's easier for them just to plow on and kind of continue to to live in that role? Yeah, I think it might be more that. My suspicion would be based on based on my experience with with male friends and relatives who have definitely struggled in very similar ways to me. 
but who have found it incredibly difficult, if not practically impossible, to ever talk about it or seek help. Um, so I think it's probably just far less well spoken about because, you know, I'm not sure that women, I'm not, I'm not arguing with you, but I'm not sure ne necessarily whether women are more emotional beings or whether men now just this don't is get it. taught what yes, we get taught. Absolutely. We're just more used to talking about, we're just more used to and encouraged to talk about emotions. I think men are, men just have different ways of processing emotion and different language to use for it and different amounts of opportunity to do that. And, you know, if I think about the difference in even how, you know, when I was a child and it was, you know, big boys don't cry. And and ultimately we've now got a generation of, you know, men who, are, that's a massive thing to to unpick when, when that might be something that was very well-meaning said, you know, said in a very well-meaning way when you were younger, but that was a kind of cultural attitude. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. So this has been quite a serious podcast. I'd like to end on a... <laughs> <laughs> an optimistic note. I think, I guess what I what I was just reflecting on it in my head was that for all that this stuff has been quite a struggle for me and particularly in the last few years, well, actually it has been for years, but I've been only working on it in the last few years. Um, I feel I feel like getting to grips with it is making a huge positive change for my life. And I, I, I guess that's what I want to say is that it's not insurmountable my experience is that it's not insurmountable. It is imposter syndrome and all the things that go with it are things that you can moderate and kind of improve. And if you can do that, then my experience is that you can get to a point where you coexist with your working life in a way that doesn't cut you to pieces. Yeah, so <laughs> Which much is hope. Certainly how it felt to me a few years ago. Yeah, so, so much hope. Um, it's very, yeah, it is very hopeful. And, and half of it, I think, if not more than half, is just about and why I wanted to have this conversation was because it's just about knowing it's there. You know, once you start understanding where it comes from and how it's influencing your behavior, um, I feel as though that's, that's a really long way towards learning to live with it, I guess, actually, because I'm not sure that it ever goes away. Would you say it ever goes away or is it just something that we learn to... I think it can completely it can completely change shape. So, you know, once we start thinking about what we're not saying and what we're not doing and the decisions that we're not making out of fear, then then we start recognizing that actually they're there to be made, but we're choosing not to. So therefore, what might it be like if I did say that or I did send that email or I did ask for that pay rise or I did? And then we just start opening our awareness up to the possibilities. And then maybe at some point we might think, you know what? I'm actually just going to do it. And we we share an opinion or we share a thought or an idea and everyone doesn't run out of the room kind of in a shock horror as we might have assumed they would. And it's just when we start challenging those assumptions that actually dictate so much of our behaviour and the decisions that we make and we can start separating, you know, what you were saying about separating the feelings from the facts because actually feelings, they feel they can feel all-encompassing at times. And Sometimes it's just that very simple act of, well, I feel like they might think I'm a failure, but actually that's just a feeling. That's a fear. What might it what might it be like if I was to actually do that or say that or ask for that? And we start challenging our own narratives and realizing that actually maybe the world can handle us in more of our kind of authentic, honest state than we 
than we first thought. Maybe we're not too much. Maybe we're not not enough. Maybe actually we can enjoy life a little bit more. Obviously, I you know, we can't be completely authentic all the time in a way that, you know, sometimes I just having a full on afternoon and everything's coming at me and the emails and the kids. And I think I'm just, my authentic feeling is I just want to like get on a hot air balloon and like slowly kind of drift away. (laughs) I'm not going to do that because I've got responsibility. So being authentic is more just about acknowledging your feelings, acknowledging that and starting to see some of the possibilities that might actually be available when we start, yeah, asking ourselves is, is that fear really really founded in something real or is it just a fear and a worry and and an assumption that I've held and not ever really challenged before? What might it be like to start taking little steps of risk and authenticity Mm. and vulnerability? Yeah. Okay. Let's all do that. (laughs) Let's let's have that be our (laughs) our call to arms. Let's take little steps, little steps towards vulnerability. And we grow into ourselves. So I guess one of the things that gets talked about quite a lot are you know, there's lots of sort of morning rituals that you can do, aren't there? Like writing intentions for the day and journaling and things like that. So I just wondered if you feel as though there's a value in doing that, like whether you could create a kind of mantra for yourself where you were repeating something to yourself that could help you hold on to some thoughts about your kind of your inner worthiness. Like, could you have a mantra that says, I'm worth one point, point. Boris Johnson's worth one point. (laughs) We're all worth one point. (laughs) Yeah, the Theresa one point. Do you know what? Sometimes I think it we to write our own is is really really helpful. And my I often hold on to little sentences, and then you know I might then put that one down and pick up something else that feels more relevant at the time. But absolutely, you know, I will say to myself when I find myself comparing or I feel like a failure, and I know that it's affecting my sense of self esteem, I might think, yeah, I'm worth one point. I have value. My thoughts and opinions are valid. You know, and I think it's just, it's like that little metaphorical thing in your back pocket that you could just take out when you're having a bit of a wobble and it just grounds you. So, you know, find something that works for you. One of mine over lockdown was I will cross that bridge if I get to it because I was finding that worry and fear was really kind of impacting the decisions I was making around work and home life. And and it was just that really grounding reminder that I will cross that bridge if I get to it, if because I may never, a lot of the things we worry about don't actually come to fruition, but also it reminds us that we have crossed many bridges in our lives that at some point, if someone said you would go through this, you would go through that challenge in your work, you might say, absolutely no way in hell I could ever come through that. But here we are, we've crossed every bridge we've got to, to this point. And many of us are probably in the middle of bridges right now. But, you know, for me, that was a really helpful one. So, Yeah, I think it can, as long as it doesn't devalue and invalidate feelings that you're having. Because I think often we can use these things as, I shouldn't feel overwhelmed because I should be grateful. When actually you can feel grateful and overwhelmed. So it's kind of, it's, you know, it's just acknowledging those those gray areas and the the color within it and just respecting ourselves. And it might be that if you're feeling like an imposter, you might say to yourself, I am all of these things. I am the successful one. I am the mess behind the scenes. I am, you know, the one that did that project and did it well. I am the one that shouted at my kids this morning and feels guilty. I am all of these things. Yeah, yeah. They are all parts of me. And they're all valid. Yeah. Yeah. We all have, we all have the many different parts. I read, when I was doing the research for my book, I read something really powerful about how important it is to write that stuff down and see it in your own handwriting. And 
one of them is I am kind to myself (laughs) and I find it really yeah I find it really useful I find it really really helpful to just see it and I think it has to almost be more specific than I am I mean it could be I am worthy of love specific is good yeah like highly specific sometimes I write down I believe in my right to express my needs um which I think is a really yeah that's been a really powerful one and I like you I changed them I changed them around I have the same one for a few months and then I change them and I yeah I do think it's really valuable so maybe that's the thing you don't have to do it in the morning (laughs) I would do it whenever and I think it's just these statements and it's a recognition that we've got so many statements about ourselves in my mind I'm not very good at this I always mess that up I'm not dependable for this I'm always late you know we have these statements and then we live to them so actually, you know, doing this is is saying I I want I want a different narrative. I want to live towards that narrative, and it is an incredible. It's a very powerful thing to do when you're writing it in your own handwriting. You're just reprocessing it. You're giving your brain an opportunity to reprocess something that is written in a film. Yeah, by you. You're taking ownership of it. So that's that's a brilliant tip. Love that. Thank you so much. This conversation has been so wonderful yet again I feel like it's been a therapy session for me so fingers crossed (laughs) it works for some other people as well and I'm not just exploiting my interviewees over the course of the podcast (laughs) but yeah thank you so much for all the wisdom and um and and honesty um I feel like it will be really valuable thank you for having me it's been an absolute honor thank you I do worry that I treat these as therapy sessions for myself. So fingers crossed, (laughs) they do do some good out in the world as well. I thought that what Anna was saying about the way we talk to ourselves was perhaps the most important aspect of this for me anyway. The, The ticker tape of narrative that runs through our brains being the loudest voice that we ever hear and how shifting that to a voice which cheers you on and values you and thinks that you're worthy whatever happens and whatever you have. I think that might be one of the most powerful things that we can do for our own sense of well-being and for our mental health. So that might be the small step that I try and take next on this strange journey of trying to belong in my own life. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of The Solo Collective. To make sure you don't miss an episode, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have anything you would like covered, let us know by leaving us a review or you can message us at The Solo Collective on Instagram. You have been listening to The Solo Collective with me, Rebecca Seal, a Chalk and Blade original produced by Laura Hyde with support from Fatuma Kera, original music by Dee Plume and engineering by Matt Nielsen. Chalk and Blade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.